listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Uh, well, if you want to be opening your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis 12 this morning. And we're starting a new sermon series called The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So we're going to be studying Genesis uh, for pretty much the whole fall, and I'm so excited because, y'all, this study, it's not so much about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's about who God reveals himself to be in the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, and, you know, really the first lesson I think God has for us, I was thinking about this week, I really, you learn a lot just from watching kids, and that's true a lot of ways. Our kids teach us a lot of things. One of the things I know uh, kids teach us and teach me is how important promises are to us. Just think about how many ways kids have to make promises to each other. You got the pinky swear, spit shake, cross my heart, there's threats, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in your eye, oh my goodness. We, you know, resort to violence, all kind of things uh, early on that no one seems to have to teach us that we just know we need to make promises to each other. And I know for me, usually, hey, the bigger, the bigger the stakes, the more risky things look, the worse the outlook, usually the more I demand a promise from somebody, somebody I trust. I got to thinking about this week, this time when I was a kid, the first time I ever did a ropes course at one of these summer camps. And I find myself up 30 feet high on this platform. I'm on this thing called the V-Swing. So it's got two steel cables that they hook up into you. And you're on this little platform. And you're supposed to just jump off the platform and then swing. And this looked like a great idea when I was on the ground. Once I got up there, this looked like a terrible idea. And I froze. I was so scared. I did not want to jump. And so this counselor's up there, and I know this guy, and I, and I trust him, and he's telling me, he's giving me all these facts, and he's a harness, can do all this and that. And you the see these cables, these steel cables, they can hold up a dinosaur. And that didn't help because I thought, y'all, this guy clearly doesn't know what he's doing. Dinosaurs went extinct. This thing can't hold up a dinosaur. Now I'm even more scared, and I'm, I start to panic. And then finally I just look at him and say, do you promise it'll hold me? And this counselor says, look at me. Look at me, Clint. I promise it'll hold you. And y'all, that was so important for that moment because the stakes were high, right? 30 feet, that's how high the stakes were for me. Uh, it looked risky. Well, as we open up to Genesis 12, in the context of Genesis 1 through 11, y'all, the stakes have never been higher. Can creation continue? Those are the stakes. And if so, is it possible for man ever to have a relationship with God? Can we ever undo what was done in the garden. Because y'all, chapters 1 through 11, it is a story just of repeated failure, a cycle of failure. We have the garden, that's great, uh, but then but you don't even have to turn the page in your Bible before it all goes terrible. And then we have the flood, we have murder, we have the Tower of Babel. Y'all, we are on our fourth redo just by the time we get to chapter 12. And so we, we start to think as we're reading this along, you know, it, it, it's really apparent we need something more powerful than just another try. Redos aren't cutting it. Over and over again, we descend into violence, descend to destruction, and it's not getting better. It is only getting worse. Is there anything powerful enough to get us out of this cycle of failure? That's where we are at chapter 12. When chapter 12, God sends something so powerful, it can put together what was broken. 
It can fix our rebellious hearts. It can redeem what has been lost. What has the power to do that? A promise. God's promise can do that. So let's start reading. Chapter 12, we'll read uh, the first five verses, and we'll skip ahead a little bit. Now the Lord said to Abram, excuse me, I scrolled too far. Okay, here we go. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham, Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother, and all their possessions they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired from Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. So first thing we got to understand is the content of the promise. People can get real busy uh, believing that God promised them things that he never promised them. So what exactly did God promise Abram? He promised to make him a great nation, a big old family that would grow into a nation. He promised to bless him. He promised to make him famous, a a great name. He promised him protection. So I'll bless those who bless you. I'll I'll curse those who curse you. And then he promised to bless the whole world through Abram. Make no mistake, that last part, that last part of the promise is for you. God is saying, this is the beginning of the path of redemption. This is the beginning of the plan that will work. Now, the text wants us to know some things about this promise. This promise that God is saying will work despite what we've experienced the first 11 chapters. The first thing is this. God's promise, it's all grace. It's all grace. God's promise is all grace. And we see this in the first five words. It's all grace because God goes first. The first five words are the key, the only hope we have of any redemption whatsoever. Because it doesn't say Abram said to God. It doesn't say Abram sought God. It doesn't say Abram had an inclination about God. God is the subject. God is the one that decides what to say and who to say it to. And so part of the reason we know this plan is going to work is because God's going to do it all. And we know God's going to do it all because he goes first and he initiates. The other reason we know it's all grace is because it's impossible. What God is promising to do, y'all, is impossible. And so if you back up a few verses, you read the end of chapter 11. It's kind of summarizing what's happened since Noah. So after Noah, you know, we do the whole flood, the curve, we save Noah. You would think they all know his family. They leave the ark just worshiping him for the rest of their lives. No, we have one son. There's one son in his lineage. And these are, this is the only family left that knows anything about God and tries to follow him even a little bit. It's the descendants of Shem. But chapter 11 ends with these descendants living in a place of idolatry. And the assumption, uh, the assumption is they've become idolaters too. Even worse, the final father in this line, Terah, He has one son, Abram. 
How many sons does Abram have? Zero. None. In fact, Terah's name, it literally means moon, which is a Hebrew metaphor for the end. His name is telling us it's over. The genealogy is coming to an end. There's no hope. That's what the genealogy is telling us. The last godly line has fallen into idolatry, but it doesn't matter anyway because Abraham doesn't have any children, and so he's not going to have anyone to tell God about anyway. That's where we are. Also, even worse, the text points out that in this land he's supposed to go to, there's Canaanites there. Now, the original readers would have known that's going to be a problem. Those Canaanites are going to be a problem. It'd be a little bit like me saying, hey, y'all, after this, let's all go to Whataburger. By the way, there's zombies there. Don't worry about that. You'd be like, no, those zombies are going to be a problem. Then he says, there's a famine in that land. So let's all go to Whataburger. There's no food and there's zombies. That's what he's saying. The text is saying no one can do this but God. It's impossible. And it's all grace because let's be clear, y'all. The person he is calling is totally unworthy. By any standard, then or now, Abram's a loser. He is. Back then, the way you were somebody, the way you were a big deal is with land and people. You kind of picture there's all these warring tribes, and a tribe was really just someone's extended family. They had enough people, and they controlled enough land to have power. Abram, he's old. He's homeless. He has no land. He is childless, let alone having a nation. And he's the son of a moon worshiper. He doesn't even worship the right gods. Abram, you know, this is not someone anyone would be proud to bring home to mama. That's not who this guy is. Thankfully, the promise, it's not going to be based on who receives it and, and their performance. It's all grace. But since it's all grace, the text wants us to know God's promise requires faith. God's promise requires faith. Faith is expressed in obedience. God's promise requires faith, and faith is expressed in obedience. Because we don't just get promises in these verses. There's promises, and there's a command. The command is, go. Get up and go. Get going. And here's what's amazing. So throughout the rest of the Bible, Abraham is going to be praised for one thing and one thing only, his faith. That's the only thing that he is praised for. How do we know, in Genesis 12, how do we know that Abraham believed but God? How do we know he had faith? His obedience. He did it. We don't have any eloquent speeches. We don't get insight into what he was feeling or thinking. We just know he went. And it's based on that that Paul, when he writes Romans, says Abraham believed God. And he is given credit for his faith. Now, we have to be clear about what he left. What he left was everything. All of it. God is asking Abraham to take his hands off of everything he owned, everything he knows, and everything he loved. Leave your country, your kindred, your father's house. Leave White House, leave your family, leave even your own home. That's what he is asking Abram to do. And he's leaving that to go into the unknown. And so I think really what, what God is asking him to give up is control. This is what he's giving up. He's going to an unknown, uncertain future where he would no longer be in control. 
and men and women, this is the pattern. From here on, in all of Scripture, this is the pattern for what it looks like to follow God. God makes promises. And then people, you and me, we live our lives based on those promises. We adjust our life based on what God has promised. And that is faith. That's biblical faith. Faith is living your whole life based on the promises of God. That's what we do. The problem with my life, and I would guess your life too, is often we don't want promises from God. We want reasons. We want explanations. We want proof. Explain it all to me, God, then I'll go, right? God didn't give Abraham reasons. He just gives him promises. And think, think about how that conversation with Sarah had to go after God told him this. Hey, Sarah, you know, we, got, we got to leave everything we know and go to some land. Well, where's this land, Abram? God said we'd find out when we get there. Well, Abraham, that's not helpful, is it? And then, then y'all, Abraham to say, by the way, Sarah, hey, pack those candles and jazz records because apparently we're going to have a baby at some point. Hold on, Abraham, we're, we're old. When's this going to happen? Some of y'all are just getting that. When is this going to happen? How is this going to happen, Abraham? He didn't say. I don't know. Well, when? At least tell me when. Got nothing for you. I don't know. He didn't say, he didn't say any of those things. God didn't give Abraham more information because really, when you think about it, y'all, Abraham had all the information he needed. He knew everything that was required for faith because what's required for faith isn't all the what's, it's the who. That's what's required for faith. God himself had made a promise. That's all that mattered. And so you go because you have faith in the one who called you, not because you have all the information. See, what happens is sometimes we get stuck in this cycle. Often, we want to use God to make our lives better. And so then what we want to do is we want to kind of double-check God's math to first make sure he is actually going to make my life better. That's not faith. That's not what we're called to. That's not what God is after from us. Faith is when you stop using God to make your life better and you decide God is better than your life. It's all about who. It's not about the what at all. And so I think it's appropriate as we read this passage that we stop and we ask ourselves this morning, does God have full authority to tell you what to do with every area of your life? If not, listen, that is not a lack of information. That is a lack of faith. You will never know more about God. You will never experience more of him or grow in him through more reasons. You'll find out more through obedience to what he has already told you. And some of you this morning, you've been hammering God with the how, what, why, when, where, but what about? You've been looking for a sign. God, please show me a sign. You know, at least show me where this land is first. Listen, God may be telling you this morning, just follow me and I'll take care of it. Like that counsel on the ropes course, I promise, just jump and I will take care of it. You don't need more information. You need faith in the one who has called you. That's what we need to follow him. And this is what Abraham does. He believes. 
And we know he believes because he obeys without any other information, just knowing the who he was following, at least at first. And this is where the end of chapter 12, y'all, takes a very surprising turn. Because the same thing happens to Abraham that happens to us all of the time. Problems can make you forget the promise. Problems can make you forget the promise. In the second half, the second part of chapter 12, this is how we know. One of the ways we know, I should say, the Bible was not written by human beings who are just trying to make themselves look good. Because from man's perspective, y'all, this is the part of the story where Abraham, he's the spiritual superhero. He proves his worth. We expect him to to experience trials and obstacles, but we expect Abraham to conquer the trial through his faith and through his virtue. If, if Hollywood's writing the script, this is where Abraham dominates at life and him and God, they hold hands skipping down the yellow brick road. This is how we would have written it. But instead, instead of great faith from Abram, we get a great failure. An epic failure, a failure of shocking proportions. So Abraham, he goes, but on his way, he finds out there's a, a famine in this land which we're supposed to notice, wait, this is surprising. This promised land, there's already an issue and already a problem with. We're supposed to be, start asking ourselves this question, wait a minute, is God's promise really going to come true? Can this really be true? So he goes down to Egypt. Egypt is a place where there's plenty of food. He goes, okay, well, forget this promised land, no food there. Let's go down to Egypt, great plan. And then on his way there, Abraham realizes he has a problem. His problem is that his wife is very attractive. Now, normally, you wouldn't think of that as a problem. But in this case, he says, you know what? I bet that Pharaoh is going to try to kill me and take my wife. Aha, I've got it. I've got it. Okay. If I just tell Pharaoh I'm her brother, he won't try to kill me. In fact, instead of that, he'll pay me a dowry. Not only will I be alive, I'll also be rich. I'll be protected by Pharaoh. This is brilliant. You're welcome, God. I solved the problem. But understand this, y'all. The text, the text is not friendly to Abraham in this situation. He is doing something even the pagans are shocked when they find out. He's going to get scolded by Pharaoh, the enemy of God. And He's only thinking about himself. He's only thinking, he's not thinking about Sarah at all. I mean, her fate remains the same. Again, I'm sure another great conversation they had together. Hey, Sarah, I've got a great idea. I, I imagine a severe lack of enthusiasm from Sarah on this plan that Abram's put together. And he's not thinking about the promise. In fact, no one, nothing in the story puts the promise more in jeopardy than Abram and his brilliant little plan. What was the promise? It started with a family, many descendants, with Sarah. So who cares if Abraham is safe and rich? The promise can't happen as long as Sarah and Abraham are separated and they have to keep up this lie that Abram has concocted. And so the problems have made Abraham forget what the promise even was. But remember, remember the promise is all 
grace. And because it's all grace, God is going to intervene and he's going to fix the problem without any participation from Abram. It's going to come, it's going to be as big a surprise to Abram as it is to everyone else. Let's read verse 17 through 20 of chapter 12. It says, but the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. See, the the text is showing us how much Abram has missed the mark by having Pharaoh ask these questions of him. God's enemy is shaming Abraham. In fact, this is, this is great writing. Pharaoh echoes God's words to Abraham. That word go. So where he says, take your wife and go, that's really just two words in the Hebrew. Take and go. Pharaoh is reminding Abram of the promise. Abram, what are you doing here? Go. Remember what God has promised you. God is speaking through Pharaoh. If you believe me, go where I told you to go, Abram. You don't belong in Egypt. Now I know there's some of us here who have experienced very difficult problems in life. You know, and it's so easy to think God's promise depends on me handling this problem. As if God, you know, he needs my help. It's so easy to, to think, you know, hey, getting drafted onto the team, that was, that was grace, that was faith. But staying on the field, that requires me to perform. And yes, by the way, this is the pot calling the kettle black, y'all. I know the struggle of we think it starts by faith, but to keep going, we have to perform. But notice, God didn't make his promise conditional, did he? He didn't say, I'll bless you if... There's no if. It's not if you obey, I'll bless. It's I'm going to bless you. Now go. In the rest of Abraham's life, we're going to see God will challenge Abraham again and again and again. He will face problem after problem after problem. But understand the purpose of the problems. It's not to measure Abraham's worthiness. It's not to test him and test his ability. It's to conform him to what he has already been promised. And that's exactly how God wants to use the problems in your life. Not for you to perform, but to conform you. Not to perform, but to conform. He wants to conform you to what he has already promised. And so maybe, whatever that problem is for you right now, maybe God isn't asking you to fix anything. Maybe he is asking you to trust him and trust his promise. See, chapter 12, this is the way the story starts with Abraham. It creates a tension. It creates a question that the rest of the Bible is answering. How can God declare this man Abraham righteous? How is that possible? And at the very beginning, at the start of the chapter, God says that he is. But by the end of of the first chapter, we're like, wait a minute. Are you sure he is? He's he's praised for his righteousness. What righteousness? 
He even prays for his faith. And by, when we get to the end of chapter 12, we have to ask, does he really have that strong of faith? Uh, maybe, kind of. It feels complicated, right? See, the only way that God can declare Abraham righteous is the only way that he can declare you righteous. It's because the promise is more powerful than your performance. His promise is more powerful than your performance. See, the end of chapter 12, it's reminding us the first 11 chapters of Genesis are totally right. If it depends on humans at all, even a little bit, we are going to fail and fail impressively. That hasn't changed. In fact, y'all, this seems impossible. If I had read it myself, I would not believe me. Abraham's going to do this again. He's going to lie about his wife again. Just like you make the same mistakes again and again and again. We say, you know, doesn't God want us to obey? Doesn't he want us to go when he says go? Yes, he wants our obedience. In fact, he will demand it. But in Christianity, you don't provide your own righteousness. It's just not from you. See, part of this promise is this offspring that's going to bless all people. And Galatians is very clear. It says that that promise of that future offspring that will bless everyone, that's not a bunch of people. That's one person. One person in particular, Jesus Christ. See, Jesus, he's the true Righteous, believing, faithful, better Abraham. He succeeds at every point that Abraham fails and at every point that you and I fail. He answers the call of God and he goes and he leaves his home, but it's not just Haran, it is heaven itself. And in fact, the gospels record him going down to Egypt, but he doesn't stay and make a treaty and get comfy with Pharaoh. He comes back to the promised land. And when his life is in danger, at his moment of greatest trial, he trusted God. And he prayed in that garden, sweating blood. God, not my will, but yours be done. And then as he hung on the cross, he prayed, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. I am trusting you, God, with my whole life, literally. And so, men and women, what we see in chapter 12 is not just that God has made a promise to you, he has also given you the one who will believe the promise for you. The one who gave God full authority over his life, the one who succeeded at every place you fail. And this man, Jesus, he says, hey, listen, no offense, your righteousness, it's pretty sketch. I mean, it's really not super dependable. I am totally righteous. So here, you take mine. And then I'm going to pay the price for Abraham's lying about his wife twice and everything you've done, and I'll pay the price for those. And all you can do, all you can do is accept it, just like a gift, by faith. And then, here's how this works. Then, as you begin to comprehend who he is, all he has done for you, he will begin to work his faith in you, his obedience in you that you don't have on your own. That's why Colossians 1.27, it says, The hope of glory is not Christ." over there as a good moral example for me to follow with my own willpower. No, no, no. The hope of glory is Christ where? In you. That is your hope of glory. It, is that this obedient descendant of Abraham, the true and the faithful one, is in you. 
So God calls you this morning, despite whatever problems you got going on, despite things, God calls you to go to him. What's keeping you? What's keeping you from going to the God that calls you? Answer, because of Jesus Christ, nothing. So go. Go to him. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.